0: Good morning, church. Uh, Today's reading is taken from Amos, chapter 9, verse 1 to 15. That is Amos, chapter 9, and the Bible reads, I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, strike the tops of the pillars, so that the threshold shake. Bring them down on the heads of all the people. Those who are left I will kill with the sword. Not one will get away, none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths of the grave, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens, From there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hand them down and sage them. Though they hide from me at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. The Lord, the Lord Almighty, he who touches the earth and it melts, and all who live in it mourn. The whole land rises like the Nile, then sings like the river of Egypt. He who builds his lofty palace in the heavens and set its foundation on the earth. Who calls for the waters of the sea and pour them out over the faces of the land? The Lord is his name. Are not you Israelites the same as to me as the Cushites, declares the Lord? Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the first time from Kaphthah, And there are from kill. Surely the eye of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the house of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command and I will shake the house of Israel among all the nations. As grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places, restore its ruins, and build it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom, and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the plunder by the treading grapes. New wines will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring back my exiled people, Israel. They will build the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyard and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to uproot uprooted. From the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Hear the word of God. Be to
1: God. Uh, thank you, Brother Victor, for reading God's word to us. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's an honor to be here today to share God's word with you. So before we start, let's ask for God's help. Almighty God, may use me as your vessel to speak your holy word this morning. In Christ's name. Amen. Amen. In May nineteen eighty one, a rebel leader called Doctor John Garang DiMavio formed a movement called Sudan People Liberation Movement. It was a movement to fight against the oppression and the marginalization of the Southerners by the Khartoum government. This was the longest war in the history of the country, and it seems like a hopeless situation in the beginning. During this period, many of the South Sudanese suffered in many ways, over 1.5 million people died. Almost 70% of the survivors fled to neighboring countries seeking refuge. Those who are left behind were actually internally displaced from one place to another. It was a serious disaster and a hopeless situation. Because the Khartoum government was taking control of even over all the country. But yet it was a period of revival in the country and also among those who left the country. Even one of the South African Christian organizations called Frontline Fellowship was ministering to the soldiers during this time. And many of them came to faith. Then in 2005, the hopeless situation became a good news when the government signed a comprehensive peace agreement with the rebels. And finally in 2011, South Sudan got its independence and it is now a nation. And that is from hopelessness, God has brought off. And the national anthem of the South Sudanese begins with these words O oh God, we praise and glorify you for your grace in South Sudan. So, in this story, I'm interested to see that at the end of the independence, the glory is not given to the rebel leader, Dr. John Garang, who started the movement but it is given to God. And this is the a message that we are going to hear in the book of Amos, where God brings hope in a time of hopelessness. Last Sunday, our, pro, our brother Professor White has given us a broad picture of the ministry of Amos. So just to, br- to give a brief uh, summary, Amos was a shepherd and a farmer from a small town called Tekoa in Judah. The Lord changed his profession from being a shepherd to become a prophet, and he sent Amos to the northern kingdom of Israel to prophesy against it. During this time, Jeroboam II was the king of Israel, and during his reign, the nation was politically stabilized. Economically, things look so good except for the poor and the oppressed. Religiously, even things seem to be okay. Yet with all this came a sense of false security, idol worship, injustice, oppression. And this provoked the Lord into anger. And he sent the prophet Amos to warn the people about the coming judgment that the Lord is going to bring. And he also called them back to come to God. Therefore, as a messenger of God's judgment, Amos' message was structured first with the message of judgment, and then finally it concludes with the message of hope. So when you look at Amos chapter 1 and chapter 2 after to verse five, verse 5 Amos begins by pronouncing the judgment on the neighboring countries of Israel but then in chapter 2 verse 6 he launches the judgment on Israel itself if you are there in chapter 2 verse 6 you can follow with me as I read this is what the Lord says For three sins of, for three sins or even, sorry, for three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a fair of sandals. They trample over the heads of the poor and they deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son uses the same God to profane my name, my holy name. They lie down besides every altar on garments taken in pledge. and the house of their gods, they drink wine taken as fine. Then in verse, verse 12, he says, They made the Nazarites to drink wine and commanded the prophets not to prophesy. And then verse 13, the Lord says, Now then, how crushing as a cart that crushes when loaded with grains. This was the message that the prophet is telling the Israelites that this is what you are doing. But in verse 5, he was calling them to seek the Lord. Israel was called to seek for the Lord and they are warned not to put their trust on their military security. Israel was warned not to put their trust in their religious festivals. But they to reject evil and turn to the Lord. They are to seek the Lord because he is the source of life. But in chapter 6, Israel was very proud. They thought disaster would not overtake them. But Amos says, be careful. We have messages of war, wars in chapter 6. And I want to point you specifically to verse 12, B, where the prophet says, God says, they have turned justice into poison and the fruits of righteousness into bitterness. So the Lord has given a command and he will smash the great house into pieces. And the small one into bits. Israel, this time, is in a hopeless situation. From chapter 1, F to 6, Israel had been given a chance to repent, the warning and the call for repentance to come back to God, but they did not obey what the prophet has said. Therefore, in chapter 7, after chapter 9, God has made a decision to bring calamities and judgment. I must five visions about what is going to take place. And I, I will particularly... Focus on the last vision, which is vision number nine, in a vision number five. Sorry, in the passage that Victor has read for us this morning. But I will comment briefly on the on the on the four ones. In the first vision, we saw the Lord preparing a disaster by bringing a swarm of locusts. In his anger, he wanted to destroy the crops and the plants in the land. But when the prophet interceded, the Lord relented. That is chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. This, this showed to us that Israel is no better than Egypt. Because the swarm of locusts was the eighth plague that God sent to destroy Egypt, to destroy the plants and their fields in Egypt. This time, the Lord is preparing. But God, in his sovereignty, he relented. The second vision, from verses 4 to 6 of chapter 7, is a judgment by fire. The Lord is, pre- is preparing the fire to dry up the great div and devour the land. But when the prophet interceded, the Lord relented. And he said, this will not happen either. So when you look at fire, what comes to your mind? The story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Israel has provoked the Lord just as the, the people of Sodom and Gomorrah did. But when the prophet interceded, the Lord relented. So in these two visions, God shows to Amos what he's going to do, but then Amos was given opportunity to intercede, and the Lord in his sovereignty relented. So the word sovereignty, or the sovereign Lord, is repeated six times when you look from verses one to six. But then the third vision, in verses seven and nine, is the vision about the plumb line. This time, God is like a master builder. He uses plumb line to measure the righteousness of Israel. The Lord said, "I look." I am setting a plumb line among my people, Israel. I will spare them no more. Why? Because Israel did not meet the standard of what God expected them to be. The fourth vision is the vision of a basket of fruits. The Lord says, the time for my people, Israel, is rife. I will spare them no longer. Israel's time to return to the Lord has run out. God only saw to Amos what He is going to do, but Amos this time did not intercede. The final vision is vision number five, which actually brings us to our passage. And I'm going to speak three things in this passage. The first one, the title of the subtopic is God Will Punish All Sinners. If you have your, your book, chapter 9, let's look open with me so that we can read together. You follow me, sorry. I saw the Lord standing by the altar, and he said, Strike the tops of the pillars so that the threshold shake. Bring down on the heads of all people... Do, All people, those who are left, I will kill them with the sword. No one will get away, and none will escape. Though they dig down to the depths below, from there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of common, there I will hunt them and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I'll command the to bite them. Though they hide, sorry. so they were driven into exile by their enemies, there I'll command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eyes on them for harm, not for good. You see, Amos is presenting here that the destructions begin, the destruction is going to begin with the, uh, at the altar and with the worshippers. So in the Old Testament, an altar was not only a place of sacrifice, but it is also a place where they experience God's presence. People built altars to commemorate the appearance of God. For example, Beth is the place where Jacob dreamt about God, as we heard from the professor last week, and he named it Beit El, the House of God, and this is where Jeroboam built the temple. The worshippers bring their sacrifices to the altar, where it was burned and then given to God. But in this vision. God appears not to accept the sacrifices, rather to destroy the altar and the worshippers. Why? Because the Israelites are not faithful in their worship. Just as we heard last time, last week from chapter 5 verse 21, God says, I hate and I despise your religious festival. Your assemblies are exchanged to me. I will not accept your burnt offering or grain's offering. Away from me, away with the noise of your songs. Israel loved sin. They loved oppression. They loved luxury and fornication. They rejected the God of the covenant and even the law. So God was angry. And that is why here in verses two to four, God says there is no way for them to escape his judgment. Whether they go up into the heaven or down onto the, uh, on the earth or on the top of the mountains or beneath the sea, there is no way to escape. No hiding place in the day of judgment. The word I is is repeated five times, only referring to the Lord himself, who will judge his people, Israel. Even though some of us are not builders, but we know that the house stands because of its foundation and the pillars. But when the foundation and the fillers are destroyed, that means it is a total destruction of the house. And this is what God says. The house of worship and the worshippers are going to be destroyed. Friends, this is how serious sin is, even today. It brings God's judgment and God will never tolerate sin. Just, just as we have seen in the passage that the Israelites who go to church, who come to the altar claiming to worship God, God says, I will destroy you. Because they are not faithful in their worship. And judgment is coming. Are you waiting for that day with unrepented heart, just as the Israelites did, or you are waiting with a repented heart? So according to Amos chapter one and verses one to four, God will punish all sinners. This takes us to the second point of our passage, which will, begins from verses five to nine. So, the title of the second passage is God is both the judge and he is the savior. God chose Israel out of the families of the earth and he instituted it as a place where righteousness and justice would be displayed to the rest of the world. He gave them law through his servant Moses. To guide them in their covenant relationship with God. But Israel has rejected that calling and they have abused the privilege. And so God has declared to punish them more severely for their unfaithfulness. Look with me in verse 7. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? declares the Lord. Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kafto, and the Armenians from Kerr? Here, God is saying that Israel is not special than these nations. Why? Because in Isaiah chapter 20 verse 3, the Cushites or the land of Cush in Egypt were punished. And here God says, I will bring shame on you. I will put you to shame, just as what happened to the Cushites and the Egyptians. God's choice for Israel as a chosen nation was not because of any special attraction that they possessed. No. It is because of his sovereignty and love and because of his covenant relationship, covenant that he made with Abraham, so that through Israel he will bring blessings to all nations. This is in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3. Yet here in Amos' time, Israel has become a sinful nation. Interestingly, in verses five to six, the prophet presented the mightness of God who will execute judgment. The God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth, the one who controls the sea. He is the, he is powerful to bring judgment on his rebellious people, especially this sinful kingdom, Israel. God is a judge who no one will hide from him. All are to face God's judgment. According to verse 8a, the Bible says, Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on this sinful kingdom, and he will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yahweh has the capacity to bring total destruction. But the law says in verses 8b, yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob. Jacob. Friends, because of God's sovereignty and mercy, even this terrible judgment did not take away the hope. Why? Because he is merciful to bring salvation for the remnants of Jacob. The sinners will be destroyed, but the remnants will be saved. Who are the remnants? The remnants are those who seek good, not evil. The remnants are those who maintain justice in the court. Although they will suffer the same faith of their fellow brothers and sisters who sinned against the Lord, yet God will preserve them. This is the hope that those who trust in the God of Israel has. He in his mercy will save those who seek for him and those who worship him with sincere hearts. And this brings us to the last point of our passage. God is a God who brings restoration. This section marks the final divine speech of the prophet. It completes the book on a positive note and it elaborates on the message of hope for the remnants. So when you look back, the book begins with judgment for the, for the sins of the Israel for the sins of the nations around Israel. And then the judgment against Israel in particular And then it continues to call the people, Israel, back to God. Now here it ends with a series of unconditional promises that God will bring to Israel and the rest of the world. In other words, the promises are extended to the whole world. Many Christians today, including myself, understood Amos and Jeremiah as the prophets of doom. But my brother, Professor White, is writing his PhD to challenge the view that Amos is not a prophet of justice and doom, but he is a prophet of righteousness and hope. And I believe some of us will be willingly waiting to read your paper, our brother. So I'm converted through reading the book of Amos and my conversation with White that Amos was calling the people back to God so that they will enjoy the covenant pra- uh, promises and the blessings. And that was God's intention right from the beginning in Exodus 19. Israel is God's treasured possession. They are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now here comes again that hope of restoration of Israel as God's treasured possession. Look with me in verse 11. The Bible says, In that day the Lord will restore David's fallen shelter. He will rebuild its broken walls and restore its home. This is the restoration of the divided kingdom, the fallen kingdom, the kingdom that was divided after the sin of King Solomon in 1 Kings 11, verse 12. But look carefully in verse two, verse 12. This time, it is not only a restoration of Israel as a nation, only, but it includes the remnant of Edom and other nations that bears the Lord's name. This is a universal promise. It is not only the restoration of the kingdom, but also the land and the people, the remnants. Verses fourteen and fifteen reads The Lord says, I'll bring my people Israel from exile. They will rebuild their ruined cities and live in it. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruits. I will plant Israel in their land, never to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord. So the land is restored. The remnants are going to return and there will be plenty for everyone. Food will be plenty, wine will be plenty. But when Israel returned from the exile, the land was restored and they were restored to the presence of God And they were given rest. But yet due to the continued sin as recorded in the last book of the Old Testament, so the ultimate fulfillment of this rest awaited the New Testament. Jesus Christ, in the line of David, was the true king who has restored Israel back to God. And this time, it is not Israel only who is restored to God, but all the other nations were restored to God through his death and his resurrection. He changed the word of the wrath into the word of mercy. And it is through him, our Lord Jesus Christ, that the community, the new community came out, That is the church. So, in the book of Acts, you can turn there, Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15, verses 5 to 19, it tells us about the council, the Jerusalem council. So in this council, there was a question about the Gentiles. How can they be welcomed into the community, the new community, which is the church? So some of the the, the believers, the Christians who came from a par- uh, the Pharisees' background, they stood up and said the Gentiles must be be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. But I think Barnabas, Paul, and Peter probably in that council was nodding their heads in disagreement. Like, what are you talking about? After a short discussion, Peter stood up to give the testimony of his ministry to the Gentiles. And I want to particularly start reading in verse 8, you can follow. And he said, God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them, the Gentiles, by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. He did not discriminate us, discriminate between us and them, for he purifies their hearts by faith. So on then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we or our ancestors have been able to bear? No. We believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. And the assembly was silent. Even when Paul and Barnabas continued to give their testimony, testimonies about the ministry, they remained silent. And then finally, James, who is the leader of the church in in Jerusalem, stood up. And he quoted this passage, Amos, chapter 9, verses 1 and 12. So I'm praising here. The message that he says to the Gentiles is like, have we forgotten what God has spoken through the prophet Amos? That the inclusion of the Gentiles, that there will be the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's kingdom. This was prophesied a long time ago. As the Bible says, at this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruined. I will rebuild, and I will restore it. And the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord. It is my judgment, therefore, in verses 19, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. What we have here. Is that God has planned to restore people back to Him through Christ. And when Christ came, the gospel was spread to everyone so that those who believe, those who seek the name of the Lord will be part of this kingdom. Where do you put your hope? Are you putting your hope in the things of this world? the desires of the flesh, the prophet warns us today that when we pursue the fleshly desires, it leads us to judgment, just as we have seen in the Israelites. God is a God who watches day and night, and he will bring judgment to those who do not seek him. But for those who put their hope in in Christ. They will be with him in his everlasting kingdom. Have you put your hope in Christ? If not, this is the chance. Right here. God is ready to welcome you to his everlasting kingdom. Put your hope. In him today. Let us pray. Sovereign God, you are indeed righteous and holy. You will never tolerate sin, but thank you that in your mercy and kindness, you have provided a Redeemer, your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, so that those who believe in him will be part of your kingdom and be reconciled back to you. Help us and guide us in this hope and relationship with you every day in our talks, in our thinking, and in the things that we do, that all may bring glory to your name. Amen.